Welcome to the Scholarly Kitchen podcast for July 15th, 2015. I'm Stuart Wills. It's been an eventful couple of months in the area of scientific ethics and integrity with some highly publicized retractions of research, the fourth edition of the World Conference on Research Integrity, which took place in Rio de Janeiro at the beginning of June, and just recently some new guidelines from publishers, academics, and others on research transparency and reproducibility. To talk a bit about this, we're delighted to have Charlotte Haug, the Vice Chair of the Council on Publication Ethics, or COPE, on the line. Uh, Charlotte, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Before we dive into the discussion, could you just talk a little bit about what COPE does uh, and uh, some background on the organization? Yes, yeah, so COPE, the Committee on Publication Ethics, is, is really an um, education forum for editors and publishers. We started less than 20 years ago as a very small group of editors meeting then in London. And over the last 10, 15 years, this organization has grown enormously. So now we had 40 journals in 2000, and now we have more than 15,000. That is remarkable. <laughs> it's remarkable. But it has to be said, though, that one reason for this fantastic number of journals is, of course, that we've had some of the large publishers sign up. It's not like every single uh, uh, editor has signed up. But we are trying as hard as we can to stay <laughs> in a way the way we've always been. So we're trying to provide advice and education on all as aspects, really, of publication ethics, and in particular, how to handle cases of research and publication misconduct. And editors and publishers who are members have a forum to discuss actual individual cases with us. We have different formats for that. We have webinars. We have different kinds of now everything on, on the net, of course, where we meet and discuss. Uh, we do not investigate cases, but we encourage editors to help the institutions uh, investigate cases of misconduct. And all code members are uh, expected to follow the codes of conduct for journal editors and publishers. So in a way, we are a little bit surprised ourselves at how, how big <laughs> the organization has become. Mm -hmm. But it is still a voluntary, uh, nobody's paid, you know, to, mm -hmm. to be on, on the council or, or as an officer. We, we try to, to provide education first and foremost and advice in this very rapidly changing world of publication and science. All right. Well, let's talk a bit about uh, an event that I mentioned at the outset, which is the World Conference on Research Integrity. This was the fourth conference, as I mentioned, and it seemed in a way like the timing was almost serendipitous. It immediately followed uh, the very highly publicized uh, retraction case of a science paper by uh, Michael LaCour and, and uh, Donald Green on attitude change toward uh, same-sex marriage. I guess that must have given people a lot to talk about at that uh, at that meeting. Yes and no. I would say, I mean, it's it, it's absolutely a very interesting and uh, unfortunately typical case. <laughs> but I wouldn't say that that case was talked about a lot, but it was definitely used as an example in all the workshops dealing with retractions, uh, dealing with with how research should be uh, conducted, really. And uh, all these cases are, of course, special, but uh, at the same time, 
when we look at the cases like this one that you mentioned, it gets a lot of publicity, of course, because it is published in a, a journal like Science. But when we look at the, all, the, all the journals, uh, we see that this is the typical Hmm. retraction case in a way it just doesn't get all that publicity hmm. and of course we understand why it gets so much publicity because we still have sort of a hierarchy of, of journals and rightly so and when science publishes something like this you sort of expect them to have done all the checks more than maybe a tiny little journal in uh, Asia. Well, one thing I noticed about uh, the conference this year, or at least in, in looking at some of the conference materials, was there seemed to be a particular focus on the kind of system of incentives and rewards built into science and how, you know, we might be able to nudge that system to, you know, toward uh, better promoting research integrity. Uh what were some of the main sort of themes on that on that issue? Yeah, so that that was actually the main theme of this year's conference, the systems around research, and um, we would hope to have systems with incentives that nudged toward promoting research integrity. But in the first place, we just need to get rid of those uh, systems that are you know working in the opposite direction, actually nudging the researchers to misconduct or at least to sort of slightly unethical behavior because it is so easy to make a little bit of a shortcut so that uh, you can get your paper published with everything that that means. In all countries now, I think all over the world, a journal article has become sort of a currency hmm. for promotions, for uh, getting money to your department, for your career. And it was never meant to be that, you know. And, uh, and that, that one type of incentive is it, it working a little bit differently in different countries. But when we know that if you get, just get the publication, you will, it will help you. And if you get the publication in a sort of top-ranking journal, it will mean lots of money, lots of um, mm. things for your career we can easily see how that is not promoting the kind of research integrity that we're looking for. Uh, and uh, that, I think, was the main thing in very different ways that we discussed at this this year's conference. Was there anything in particular in the conference that uh, that you felt was, was particularly interesting in terms of how to change the system to, to you know, more in the direction of research integrity? I think the most important Thing about this conference that was was that it was a truly international conference this time. It has been a world conference before. Uh, I have, was not to the first two. There they were sort of by invitation only. I was in Montreal two years ago and now here uh, there in Rio. And this year's had the feeling that we had it, not all of the world, but at least most parts of the world represented which is extremely important because research is, of course, a global thing and the scientific record is created globally and we all depend on each other's work in that way. And to have both you know, people representing the authorities, politicians from China, from Latin America, of course, also from Europe and, um, uh, and the US and so on, talking quite openly about the problems that we have uh, in research, that made me very optimistic 
because mm. it's already that means that we can sort of handle things if it's all under the carpet and we don't want to talk about it it's so, so much more difficult so that made me very optimistic actually uh, that now we're talking i mean cope was involved uh, over the last few months in that the new kind of scientific misconduct which is uh, peer reviewers that are just you know fake mm-hmm. and created and so far it has looked like it is a problem you know coming from china and we haven't really talked openly about that but when the chinese actually talked about that you know and that 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 i think is very very encouraging because uh, it made me think that we can make some progress here because we all have to sort of agree that we have some problems before we can do something about it. Yeah. Well, let's, you know, let's look at, at other potential solutions or, or ideas that are being floated at this scene a bit more broadly. A, a few weeks ago, a new set of guidelines was published in Science Magazine. This was the work of around 30 scientists and publishers to try to promote uh, openness and transparency. What can you tell me about your thoughts on, on those guidelines and the impact that they might have? Well, um, so those guidelines are are setting up ways that journals can uh, help making science more open and transparent in different, you know, specific ways. For example, how how they can have policies for in their journals so that, for example, data can be shared or code can be shared if that's the type of article we're talking about. That's the type of thing that this these science guidelines are looking at. And I think I like the way they had set it up, really. it's uh, They made it not like you have to be with us or against us in a way. They have made sort of a three or four different ways more and more strict that the journals could uh, encourage this, uh, this transparency. And uh, uh, I think uh, I think they can have an uh, an impact. Uh, data sharing has been sort of the most discussed over the last few years in uh, in all journals, I think. Um, but but also sh- sharing of code and how we can, in a way, get back to the old system of research where this was actually the norm that. Uh, when you publish something, it should be possible to replicate what you did based on what was published. And then we realize that, you know, usually there is a lot of stuff that's not in the article, such as the raw data or the data code that you're using or the the genes or the laboratory material that you're using to get your results. And this is a way of trying to, to get back to that because uh, science must be replicated to be true. And we have just seen that that is not, it's just not happening and very often cannot happen based on what's published now. And I guess uh, COPE also has its own set of, uh, of guidelines. The principles of transparency and best practices in scholarly publishing, which it co-publishes with a number of other organizations. Yeah, so those are actually a little bit slightly different sets of guidelines, and that has to do with the enormous increase in journals um, over the last few years. And uh, COPE and some other organizations for journals 
has had some problems with membership uh, because we really we encourage people to be members so that we can educate at the same time we want them to be real journals and and that's really what those principles are about that we have we had decided not to make sort of a blacklist of journals that we didn't think were real journals instead we wanted to make principles of transparency uh, and best practices sort of what does it mean what what is the minimum set of criteria you have to meet to call yourself a journal. And that's what they are all about. And it's really, I think everybody in science knows about these journals that pop up all over the place. And it's mm. um, uh, it's too easy to say that everything is just bad because it's just, some of it isn't, you know, some of it is actually new countries, new people trying to to set up journals. And, and it, it, we all started in one place. Everything cannot be professional in the beginning. So not everything that looks sort of uh, a little bit um, amateurish is is fake or mm-hmm. wrong, you know. So, But uh, there are some minimum sets uh, of criteria, and that's what this is about. All right. Well, I'd like to sort of move toward the end here by talking about a few sort of larger questions. I mean, you alluded to uh, earlier the the fact that sometimes people look at these things differently in, in different countries. There are different. I've certainly uh, noticed that uh, what constitutes plagiarism is sometimes considered uh, very differently in, in different parts of the world. There seem to be so many gray areas here. Uh, will publishers really be able to, you know, to act as the policeman on this? What What do you think really is the publisher's role in in policing misconduct? Well, I think we we're not really police, <laughs> but we we can of course use the word in the sense that yes, we 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 have a responsibility to try to secure that what we publish is as good as it can be. You know, that is the role of the publisher or editor. And we have a role to correct and retract. Those things are our, our responsibilities. And so when you think uh, talk about the differences in different countries, for example, when we speak about plagiarism, I'm not sure, you know, that, that, we, uh, that we think so differently about this. But uh, it also has to do with the English as the current common scientific language. And so many people all over the world do not have English as their Mm -hmm. first language, not even the majority of those who publish. And there is a prejudice when you get the manuscript to one of the, you know, prestigious journals and it's not perfect English. It is a tendency that those uh, manuscripts are sort of uh, not maybe uh, considered in the same way. So what many non-English sort of native English speakers are saying is that, well, you know, we find a paragraph that is really well written and we use that paragraph because it looks more professional. But often it is also just an excuse for real plagiarism, which we do not accept, I don't think, in any country. Another thing that came up at the... at the World Conference that were different in different countries were the concept of authorship. That I found quite interesting because in our parts of the world, we've been sort of agreeing for some years now that for, you should not, you should be a real author, you know, to be on the paper and that the head of the lab, for example, is, has no place there if he or she hasn't really authored the paper and fulfilling the authorship criteria. Well, we had speakers from from the Islamic world, for example, who said that they 
that would be considered terrible in their countries not to include the head of the institution on the paper. It would be very impolite and very much against mm. the culture of science. I, I can sort of see where they're <laughs> getting at. And, uh, and we have to take this into account. I think the same will be true if we really talk to Chinese authors and, um, and that, that we have to look now at, the dif- at different cultures and take into account that we have to uh, acknowledge that, that the sort of guidelines and rules are very sort of Western, uh, are sort of ethics. And, and maybe, you know, the next phase now will be to, to sort of really um, understand a little bit more about the cultural differences and how that will influence this particular aspect. That's very interesting. You know, one of the trends that seems to have given rise to a lot of these concerns has been the increase in retract, or what seems to be a, a, a rather significant increase, documented increase in retractions. We've heard suggestions that the number of papers retracted annually is up 25% over the past five years and maybe tenfold or more over the past uh, 15 years. How do you uh, judge this? Is this because we have better tools for identifying problems or is it, or does it reflect some, something different about the way science is being done now or, or maybe some combination, you know, thinking about the, the incentives that you talked about earlier? I think maybe a uh, you know combination here because it's a little bit <laughs> how you look at the numbers too because the retractions are up but so are you know publications mm-hmm. so I was looking at this for one of the talks I gave there and um, I could see that you know the increase in publications is really actually quite constant over the last hundred years or so it's just that we now have so much more what is what is really changing is the participation from different countries all over the world you know it's it's that is really changing and uh, i i think the the electronic age i mean internet has really changed so much it's it makes it so much easier to to see you know for example plagiarism very often the reason we catch plagiarism is not because you have some fancy software but because uh, the original author sees his or her own article you know, on in print, either in the review phase uh, or actually online. You know, and so yes, I think you know we we it's much easier to to find and identify both before publication and after, and um, uh, and I'm not sure that the retractions are going up that much. Um, what I see, and that is. Uh, Something that worries me a little bit is that calls for retraction when it really should be a correction has increased. That's, this is something we've been seeing in, in COPE. And uh, I think it's very important that retractions are used for what retractions should be. I mean, either because the whole paper is flawed, because you made an er- error or there is misconduct, but you should not retract just because you disagree, for example. Mm. We see... We see this now that this paper isn't no uh, is no longer valid. I mean, science is made up of you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's very that's a that's a really interesting observation. Do you have any thoughts on why that might be happening? Well, um, in a way, I mean, this is just my own personal opinion from working with this. Uh, is that 
in a way, it's like uh, um, the real sort of um, culture of scientific debate. It's at least in medicine, which is my field. It's there's. It's almost like uh, it has to be true or untrue. That it, the the very natural thing that sort of I <laughs> uh, met in my early career, and so that of course you know things will. You you do something, and then uh, a year later, somebody else comes along and figures out that this this wasn't correct. So then we we move on, you know. Now there are all these debates about this paper should be retracted because it it will sort of mislead the public if mm. it is left standing. And I this is something that actually worries me a little bit because this and, and editors are pressured to retract because sometimes even the publisher or lawyers say that, well, okay, we cannot, you know, risk a court case here or something. And uh, I really think that retractions are actually a good thing, you know, to me as an editor, you know, I've been an editor for many years, but it's whether it is because it's just an honest error or it is because uh, there has been misconduct. I mean, it is really a good thing for the scientific record that the, that what, should be retracted is retracted and we sh- it shouldn't be used for other things like punishment mm-hmm. or or um, trying to stop the, the scientific debate you know so so i think the, the the whole discussion around retractions will continue because we've had a period now where retractions has been you know it's sort of a, like a sensation almost when there is a retraction mm-hmm. to me it is a very normal thing you know, it's not something that's uh, nice when you have to do it, especially when the authors don't agree. But but it is a very natural part of what a journal has to do. And we should look at it as something that is uh, is a good thing, actually, to correct the literature and, and not like a very sensational thing. In a way, the science is responding to the world around it. And maybe we are, in a way, expecting too much of science, expecting it to sort of solve big problems very quickly in a you know spectacular breakthrough. Then, if we could sort of slow science down, uh, both uh, for the science, sci- both the scientists themselves and in the eyes of the public, uh, I think that would be a very good thing. Charlotte Hogue, thanks very much. Thank you so much. And thank you for dropping in to the Scholarly Kitchen podcast for July 15, 2015. Be sure to visit scholarlykitchen.sspnet.org, where every day some of the sharpest minds in scholarly publishing detail, discuss, and debate the trends shaping the business. You can also comment on this podcast episode on its blog page, and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks to the Society for Scholarly Publishing for its support of this project and for hosting our audio files, and to the American Association for the Advancement of Science for use of its studio and production facilities. This is Stuart Wills from the Optical Society. Until next time, on behalf of SSP and all of the chefs of the Scholarly Kitchen, bon appétit!